Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's a production of Revive Studios. You're listening to Martyrs and Missionaries. I'm Elise, and every episode I'll bring you a new martyr and or missionary. The called and the brave. In this episode, we're covering the life of martyr and pre-reformationist John Huss. We are 30-something episodes into Martyrs and Missionaries, and I cannot believe we have not yet covered the life of John Huss. And some of you may be thinking the same thing. In the back of your head, you're like, every week, where's our John Huss? So if that is you, wait no longer and enjoy this episode. I want to start with a quote by Martin Luther, who was hugely influenced by Huss 100 years later. Luther says this, I was overwhelmed with astonishment. I could not understand for what cause they had burnt so great a man who explained the scriptures with so much gravity and skill. John Huss was born in 1369 in Bohemia, which is now in the Czech Republic, and he was born in a town called Goosetown, or Husenik in Czech. And later in life, he took the name of his hometown for himself and shortened it to Huss. Now, why he did this, we don't know. It could have been a cultural thing. Nobody really knows. But his friends used to tease him all the time because his name would technically mean goose. And Luther also did this. He would remind his followers of the goose who had been cooked for defying the Pope. John Huss, like many people, went into the priesthood looking for fame and looking to escape poverty. He says, I had thought to become a priest quickly in order to secure a good livelihood and dress and to be held in esteem by men. He earns a bachelor's, a master's, and eventually a doctorate. And along the way, he was ordained and became the pastor of Prague's Bethlehem Chapel. When we think of chapel, we think of something cute and small and quaint, but in fact, his chapel was 3,000 people large. And it was the most popular church in one of the largest cities in Europe. And Bohemia was a center of reform. For example, the sermons were preached in Czech, not in Latin, which was totally unheard of outside of Prague. He also taught as a professor at the University of Prague. And while he's there at the university, he begins reading John Wycliffe the Englishman who stood against the abuses of the church and also had the Latin Vulgate translated into English, he has a huge effect on Huss. Huss begins to believe, like Wycliffe, that the Bible, not the church or the Pope, is the ultimate authority and that more authority should be placed in church councils and away from the Pope. Everyone should also be able to read the Bible in their own language. Once again, these things completely unheard of outside of Wycliffe and now John Huss. The University of Prague, which already had some of these ideas because the writings of Wycliffe were somewhat popular, they had a split, with the Czechs supporting Wycliffe and the Germans staunchly against him. During this split, John Huss becomes more outspoken about the need for clergy reforms. 
Financial abuses, sexual immorality, and drunkenness were common among the priests of Europe. And Huss called for the preaching and reading of the Bible in the common language, and for all Christians to receive full communion. At the time, common people could not receive full communion. They could only receive bread, with the wine being reserved for the clergy, for the priests. He also opposed the selling of indulgences, and these were documents of forgiveness from the Pope, which were sold for exorbitant prices sometimes in order to fund the Crusades or monasteries. Really, anything the church needed or wanted was funded by indulgences at the expense of the local people. Huss also opposed a relatively new doctrine of papal infallibility when the papal decrees, as they often did, contradicted the Bible. He asserted that the Bible has supreme authority over church leaders and councils, including the Pope. The Germans began calling the Wycliffe-following Czechs heretics, but they were chased out of the university after the king of Bohemia threw his support to the Wycliffe followers, and so the Germans ran off to other universities. They also ran off to another part of the Czech Republic called Moravia. And out of Moravia, it may sound familiar to you, that is where the Moravian church comes from. Also during this time, Europe has something called the Great Schism. They have two popes, and each one of these popes thinks that they are the only pope, and so they have their own followers, their own councils, they do things their own way. Different sections of Europe follow different popes. It's a complete disaster. And so the Council of Pisa is called in 1409, and Pope Alexander is chosen as the new pope. Now, unfortunately, the other two popes don't recognize the authority of the new pope. And so now there are three popes. Bohemia comes under the authority of Pope Alexander, and Pope Alexander is bribed against Huss to excommunicate him, and he is forbidden to preach. But this is simply symbolic. It's on paper. In reality, Huss has the support of the local people, of the nobles, even of the king of Bohemia. And so nothing actually happens to him. He still preaches. He still teaches. It's fine. After Pope Alexander, a new pope is elected, and he immediately begins authorizing the selling of indulgences to fund a new crusade. And Huss is furious about this. He leans even more heavily, proclaiming the Bible as the final authority for the church, and he argues even further that the Czech people were being exploited by the Pope's indulgences, which was some not-so-subtle shade being thrown at the king of Bohemia, who profited off of the sale of this indulgences. He was given a cut. So with this criticism, with this shade, he loses the support of the Bohemian king, and a decree was passed that no citizen could receive communion or be buried on church grounds as long as Huss continued his ministry. And so Huss leaves the city so that no harm would come to anybody, and while he's outside the city, he begins furiously writing, and he writes tons and tons of things. And the most popular, and probably the one responsible for getting him killed, was called the church. In it, he argued that Christ alone is the head of the church and that a pope, through ignorance or love of money, can make many mistakes and that to rebel against an erring pope is to obey Christ. And it was sent off to be read in Prague and it caused such an uproar that in November of 1414, a council is assembled, the Council of Constance in southern Germany. 
John is asked to come and give a defense of his doctrines against the church, and he was promised safe passage, and he reluctantly accepted, even though he knew what was going to happen. These things never go well. The church never kept their word. He knew how it was going to end. And once he arrived, he was arrested and placed into a cell for months, and he was never able to give a defense of his views. Some of the nobles were able to arrange the closest thing he ever got to a defense, which was a trial where he was asked to recant his supposed heresies against the church. But he refused to recant his agreement with Wycliffe or any of the things he had published or said. Realizing he would never get a fair trial, he merely said, I appeal to Jesus Christ, the only judge who is almighty and completely just. In his hands I plead my cause, not on the basis of false witnesses and erring counsels, but on truth and justice. And on July 6th of 1415, he was taken to the cathedral there in Constance, placed in his priestly robes, and then stripped of them one by one and led out to the stake, where even still he was pressured to recant. Instead, he prayed, Lord Jesus, it is for you that I patiently endure this cruel death. I pray you to have mercy on my enemies. And he was heard reciting the Psalms as the flames enveloped him. His ashes were then scooped up and thrown into the river to keep anyone from giving him a proper burial. His followers collected some of the soil from his burning site and carried it back to Bohemia. Huss's death enraged many of the Bohemians, and they refused to acknowledge the authority of either the Holy Roman Emperor or the Church at large. Eventually, Bohemia comes back into the fold, but they come in their own terms. For example, they are allowed to take full communion, both bread and wine, along with several other things. But a new movement had begun, a proto-reformation, if you will, and they called themselves the Hussites. One hundred years later, Martin Luther was accused of being a Hussite, and Luther responded that he found nothing wrong in Huss's claims that the Greek church was equal to the Roman church, and that the Council of Constance had erred in condemning and executing Huss. This led Luther to first say that councils, like popes and theologians, could err and were under the authority of the scripture. And shortly thereafter, he read Huss's The Church, which led him to state that he, St. Augustine, and even St. Paul were all Hussites. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I liked, as we were going through the life of John Huss, how much it mirrored the life of Martin Luther. Now, obviously, Martin Luther is inspired by John Huss, who was also uh, inspired by John Wycliffe. But it is amazing how similar their stories are and the very similar paths and stages they took to become who they would be as leaders of both a Proto-Reformation and the eventual Reformation. Often we focus an awful lot on Luther, but there are many other people who helped inspire the Reformation as well. Wycliffe, John Huss, Zwingli, all of these people. And I'm glad that we were finally able to cover one of those men, John Huss. I also have some exciting information for you guys. There is some Christmas merchandise and some other merchandise that is available in our store and on our website. It looks really, really cool. And my favorite design, aside from the Martyrs and Missionaries design, which you should also go check out, 
is Boniface. It looks really good and it's really fun. So this is the time of year where we look for unique gifts to give our friends and family, and the Revive Studios merchandise is just waiting to be placed under a tree for your loved ones. So go ahead and make their Christmas wish come true. As always, thank you for listening to Martyrs and Missionaries. I'm Elise. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.